I appreciated uh, this morning when Alexis <clears throat> when Alexis was talking about the example of building a house and what the Holy Spirit does in building his church. And I hope everybody got that metaphor and understood that metaphor that that the more intricate the house, the more quality the house, the more time it takes to do the building. The connection I want you to make in that, though, is that that includes you personally. Because oftentimes we think when he's building a church, when he's building a group of people, that, well, that doesn't really include me. I mean, I go there and I do this or I do that, but, but he's, he's really building the pastor. He's really building the leaders. He's really building, you know, this and that. When in reality, it is every single person. See, if you could fast forward a few years from now and look at what this is and what your role will be in it, I think it's going to surprise you. In fact, I think it will downright shock you if you allow the Lord to do a work in you that he wants to do. But this sort of thing does take time. It takes time for him to sometimes get our attention. But then it takes time after we yield to him for him to teach us, for him to test us for him to try us, for him to place deep within our heart what he wants. It takes time. And that's one thing that in America we're just not good at. <laughs> we're the microwave society, right? That was one thing I loved being in Nigeria. They, they had none of that. It wasn't anything like that. God had been doing something there for 20 years. Prior to me even getting there, he had been building something there. See, he's building something here. He is building something significant that you are a part of, that we are all a family of. And by the way, we're not the only one. This, what he's building here in Ignition, he is building all over the world. And there's, there's a reason for that. We're going to get into this in the next couple weeks a little bit. There's a reason for this. Because there is revival coming. I don't know if you listen to, to different preachers or those of you who were at the, the Firestorm Conference certainly heard this. But, but all over the world, as I hear preachers from different countries, from different states in the U.S., so many are saying the same thing, that they feel the Holy Spirit is bringing on this revival. Revival. Now, I don't know about you, but there aren't too many times in our lives that we get to experience revival on a grand scale. Perhaps revival in our area, perhaps revival in the church. But I would say none of us have experienced revival on the scale we're about to see. A worldwide revival. See, the Bible talks about this as we get into the latter days. It talks about this, that the Holy Spirit will move in such a way that people will see who Jesus Christ is. See, it's not about them seeing how great Christians are. Because we're supposed to just be a transparency of who Jesus is. So the move of the Holy Spirit is just that. It is revealing who Jesus Christ is through his children. Through us, through, through you, through me. But it takes time to build that. It takes time to build that on a grand scale. It certainly takes time to build that in our setting right here. So, so I would challenge you to ask yourself, what is your part? What, what is God trying to do in you that is part of this family right here? Because I guarantee you, there's not a single person sitting here this morning 
that he does not have a portion for. There, there's, there's no extra weight in what God's doing here. We may disqualify ourselves because we don't think that he wants to use us, or we don't think that, oh, he could ever use us, or, well, you know, he would never do that with me. But he would never disqualify you. So don't disqualify yourself. Open your eyes to what he's trying to do here. Let him prepare you for what he's doing. Because this revival is so much bigger than our church. This revival is so much bigger than Newark. This revival is so much bigger than this area, this country. This revival is about a move of the Holy Spirit on a worldwide scale. Now that wasn't actually my, my message, so. But Alexis had said that, and I thought it was so awesome, such an awesome picture of what he's doing. And I want to get that. I want us to get that. That, that it's, it's about each and every one of us individually and what God is doing in us. So this morning, we've been in a, uh, uh, in a series that we're basically finishing. Today, I want to kind of do a synopsis or a conclusion of this Ready, Set, Go series. And this is really a picture of what the Christian walk is. And I'm really praying, you guys can pray in the back of your mind that my voice holds out <laughs> throughout this. I, I've been sick all week and I was just praying that I would have a voice this morning. And, and so we'll, we'll pray this morning that it holds out. <clears throat> but what this is a picture of, this ready, set, go. This is a picture of a cycle in a Christian's life. It's not just one cycle throughout their lives. This is the cycle that they're in operation every day of every year in every year of their life. We are in one place of this cycle. And, and by the way, it's not the cycle starts over because we messed up. I mean, that can be the case. But it's really more like a stepping stone where God readies you, sets you there to build your faith, and then he says, Go. Okay, then when you've, when, when you've done that, you've been obedient in that, then he builds upon that. You know, it's, it's just like, you know, going to college, getting ready for a career that you're going to have in life, right? You, you learn how to do things. You learn how to, you know, do math. You learn how to teach. You learn how to build whatever you learn how to do, okay? Put chemicals together. <laughs> whatever it is you're in school for, you learn how to do it. Once you learn that, then subsequent learning builds upon that knowledge. See, it's the same with Jesus Christ. He begins in that ready mode. He begins to show us his specific will for our lives. Not just his general will. We can read in his word his general will for our lives. But he begins to specify that. He begins to apply that to us personally. Well, God, when, when you say go into all the world and preach the gospel, I, I understand that in a general sense in the word of God, but how, how do you apply that to me? What, what does that mean to me? You know, perhaps it means to go somewhere else in the world. Perhaps it means to go to your neighbor. He begins to specify his will in our lives. That's the readying. That's where he's teaching us, he's showing us, he's revealing to us what he wants. Then there becomes that set moment. Okay, and I, I use the example of football, where you've, you've come out of the huddle, you know what you're going to do, you know what your job is and what the plan is, and you get into the set position. Once you're in the set position in football, you cannot move. You cannot move. If you do, it's a penalty. If you do, you've got to go back over and start again. So in that set mode, you're waiting. And that's one of the toughest things in Christianity. That's one of the toughest parts, knowing what he wants you to do, knowing for sure, and then you're just waiting. You're waiting for him to provide opportunity. You're waiting for him to say, go. You know, I, I, I waited for a year and a half, knowing that I was going to go to Nigeria. 
wanting, desperately wanting to be in Nigeria. Wanting to go there and experience what God had already laid in my heart. Right? But he didn't say go yet. He had already revealed to me. He made me ready for it. But I had to go through that set process. I had to go through that process of waiting until he said go. Why? Because that's where he builds our faith. It's in that set process. The difference between knowing what you're supposed to do and the activation of what you actually do, that set process is where he builds our faith. Do you actually trust me? Do you actually believe me? Are you going to listen to what I said even when it doesn't look like it's happening? Even when it doesn't look like what I said you were supposed to do is even coming to fruition. Are you going to trust me? Are you going to believe me? That's the set process. And that's the toughest part of the Christian walk. Because it's where we have an opportunity to say, I believe you, period. I trust you, period. Not, I trust you because you provided this. Or I, I believe you because, because you did this, and, and now because of this, this thing you did in my life, I know I can step that way. Because you opened the doors and you made it easy. What if he didn't open the doors yet? Just like he did with me in Nigeria. What if he said, this is what I want you to do, but I haven't provided the means for you to do it. Or I haven't provided the permission for you to do it. You're in a waiting mode. You're, you're, you're like that airplane circling around the airport waiting to land. You know what you want to do. But you have to trust God that his timing is perfect. See, because if that airplane lands too soon, it could be a problem. Because there may be another airplane landing at that time. Or it could be that there's a reason that that, that runway is not ready for that aircraft. You have to trust in that controller to tell you when to do something. Not just to tell you what to do, but to tell you when to do it. Oftentimes as Christians, we take that step into our own hands. Well, God wants me to start a church and, and, and go out and preach the gospel. But he didn't really say to go do it. He just placed that in my heart and I'm just going to go do it. That's a good thing. And you would think as a Christian, well, that's never bad. You know what? It's always bad to do something out of God's timing. Because to step into a role that you're not prepared for, or to step into a role that the atmosphere is not ready to receive, can be dangerous. It can be dangerous for you. It can be dangerous for those who receive you. See, that's why we trust in something we can't see. We trust in Jesus Christ who, who has this full plan, who knows the beginning from the end, who knows exactly what we're supposed to do. We just have to trust him. It's like the controller at the airport, right? They have the full screen. They see all the other airplanes. They see the full schedule. They, they're in contact with the ground crew. They're in contact with, with the people at the terminal. They know everything that's going on. That pilot doesn't. The pilot only knows their portion. So they have to trust in the controller to tell them when to do something. That's the set process for a Christian. That's the set process. You know, before we started this church here, before the Lord you know, said, yes, go ahead and do this, it was in many ways, a time of, of anguish for me. Because he, he had given me such a burden, such a desire to see the body of Christ unified. And to see the people around this area come to know a fire for him. But yet he was not providing opportunity to do that. I had to wait on him. See, I could have rushed that. I could have done it on my own. We could have decided to just get in a building on our own. And what, we, what can we afford? And we'll get in a building and we'll do this. And we'll just keep pushing forward. 
But see, if we had chosen to do that, it would have been more devastating than if we had not started in the first place. Why? Because it wasn't his plan. What if in your own life, what if you negate the very plan that he has for you? Remember, he has the best for you. What if you negate that plan because you think you have your own plan, that certainly that's God's plan, because I see his general will in here, but he didn't specify it to you. And what if you step out without knowing that for sure? We pay a price. We pay a price when we do that. It's a dear price. And oftentimes when we do that, he has to pick us up. He has to put us back to square one. And he says, let me show you this all over again. Because you got what I wanted you to do, but what you didn't get is the timing. What you didn't get was the fullness of what I intend. See, that's a huge thing. That's, that's a huge thing. Especially in America, because we do not like to wait for anything. <laughs> I already can't wait for Denver Broncos next year. What's up with that? Can't revel in that for too long. You gotta have it again. A two peat. I'm already thinking three peat, right? Okay, no. Sorry. But we're a microwave society today. We want it now. You know, we've we've been now at church for a year and what three months. Man, we should already be in a building. We should already be doing this. We should already be doing that. But what if? What if we stepped out too soon and we did that out of God's order and settled for that? And yet he has this other thing over here that he's promised, just waiting for him to say go. And we miss that. I don't know about you, I certainly don't want to miss that as a church. But see, I don't want you to miss that as an individual either. He has that for your life. You are in one of those modes right now. You are in the ready mode where he is showing you what he wants. Or you are in the set mode. And then there's that mode where he says go. That's the fun mode. That is, that, that's like, like the joy of doing his service. When he has readied you and you have waited patiently for him. And he says, go. Uh, I don't know if anybody in here, you know, did sports or ran track or, or like in my, play, my case, played football. But the second that that ball was snapped and you were in the go mode, you didn't think about it anymore. You knew what you're supposed to do. You took the motions. Once it was go, it was just almost robotic. Because you had already been prepared for it, and you were stepping out because now it was time. Now it was all about the application of what you've been waiting for. It was all about how you, how well you had prepared and how well you stepped through that process. And you just let him work in that. See, it works the same with us individually, with Jesus Christ. When he, when he tells us what to do, he teaches us, he, he ingrains it in us and prepares us. And then he makes us wait to build our faith. Do you really trust him? But then there is that point where he says, go. Go and do it. Go. Now he doesn't abandon you at that point because he goes with you. That's what he promises in the waiting period. And then when you go... You just go with all your might. You do what he's taught you to do with all your might. As he releases us as a church to go, we go with all our might. Six weeks ago, he said, go to Nigeria. He said, it's time to go to Nigeria. And so I went to Nigeria. And by the way, it wasn't just me going. It was this church going. I just happened to be the representation of it. But it was our body going in representation of what the Lord wants to do there through us. 
And see, when I got there, as I shared over the last two weeks, there was a table prepared before me that I had not expected. And it was that way because he readied us and we waited for him. The timing was perfect. The timing was right because he ordained it. When the timing's right in your life, when the Lord is calling you to do something and he prepares you and he tests your faith and then he says go and you're obedient in that, the timing is right. It's perfect. And when you take that step of faith, it's just like the priest stepping into the River Jordan with Joshua or into the Red Sea with Moses. When they took that step, it parted. See, it was prepared for them. It was ready for them, knowing what God, God knew what he was going to do ahead of time. Do you think the Jordan would have opened if he would have stepped out before God told him to go? No, he'd have just been taking a bath or gone for a swim. It wouldn't have done anything because God prepared it for a specific timing. God prepared it through a specific process. Look at your own life, and, and, and I, I see this more and more every day now, where God brings somebody along your path. I was talking with Shannon yesterday about people that, someone that God had brought into her path, someone she didn't know. It was a friend of a friend. As a matter of fact, the friend isn't, isn't even a Christian, isn't even saved. But Shannon had been sharing with her about how God heals. And she, she said, well, would you pray for my friend? And God got to, Shannon had the opportunity to then pray over somebody who she had never met. Share Christ with somebody who she had never met. Share intimate time with Christ and this other person, someone she had never met. Someone that God had just brought into their path. And by the way, brought in a way that wasn't through a Christian. If you look, if you open your eyes and, and you're ready to receive this, you're going to start seeing that in your life every day. God puts us in places. He brings people in our lives every day that he has already planned before the beginning of time. So why do we try and mess up his plan? Why do we want to hurry or rush his plan? Why do we want to alter his plan when his plan is perfect? As we ready ourselves, as he readies us, as we set and wait and, and have our faith tested, and then as we're obedient in the go, he shows that his plan was perfect. Because then all of a sudden things are easy. Wow, I prayed over this person and they were receptive. Man, I prayed over ten people. I went out witnessing to ten people and none of them were receptive. Why was this person receptive? Well, it's because it was ordained by God. It was the plan that he had set forth. And all we do is we walk in that plan. It's not rocket science. You don't have to know Hebrew or Greek. You don't have to be completely knowledgeable of the word of God. For him to use you. He uses us at every stage. See a person who just gets saved. Can come in and say Lord just ready me. I'll trust you. And I'll be obedient when you say go. And he takes us through stages of doing this. As a matter of fact in our life. You're not always just in one of these stages. In your life as a Christian. You are always in all three. See, there's a stage in your life right now where you're being readied. Where God is telling you something. He's teaching you something about what he wants from you or for you to do. He's readying you. That's where the Holy Spirit opens up the word of God and applies it to us specifically. So every one of you are at that stage right now. But you know what? You're also at the stage for something else in your life where 
you've already been ready. You already know what you're supposed to do, and you're just waiting. You're trusting that God is going to do it in his timing. And, and you're just waiting and letting him do it. He's building your faith. So at, at other points in your life, you're at that stage. But then you're also at stages in your, in your life at the same time where he said go. Where he's already said, here's what you're supposed to do. You've waited, you have the faith, go. And you're doing it. Or you're supposed to be doing it. Right? We're at all three of these stages within our life in multiple levels. Because it's a cycle. It's a cycle. And that's what I mean by building upon those cycles. I think a couple of weeks ago I used the example of a staircase. Okay, if you think of your trust in Jesus Christ and your faith in him as a staircase, it works with this same scenario, this ready, set, go. As you go and you trust him in something and you learn to rely on him for something, that takes you up another step. Now, you've built a foundation in trusting him on that. Then when you go beyond that, you know that that plateau he won't go below. I'm going to give you a really good example of that. For me, financially, when I was a builder building homes, and, and I was afforded the, the opportunity because of the crew that I had to not have to work in it physically that much, 15, 20 hours a week. And I was able to do ministry full time. But yet I didn't have to take a paycheck from the church or anything else. I was afforded that opportunity, right? Well, when God called me into what I would call full-time ministry, even though time-wise I was doing it then, but really a full-time focus, he said, close your business. Right? He was, he was readying me. He was calling me to something and telling me something that I had to do by faith to fulfill that. Well, when he did, and when I obeyed him, I, I, I knew what he wanted me to do. He said to do it, and so I did. That was the go. Okay, when, when I hit that go and I, I closed the business, it was not with something else in mind. It was not with another form of income available to me. So he began to ready me in that, and he was setting and building my faith in that. Well, over the course of the next couple of months, there were testings of those faith. How are we going to pay our mortgage? How in the world are we going to do this? How in the world are we going to do that? And he began to test that. But then when I got past the point of knowing that he was going to provide no matter what, and I trusted his word, he had tested me, he had set me, and, and I was trusting in his word, then from that point, it has not been an issue for me. We could be where, where how in the world is this money going to come in to pay our mortgage or, or to pay, our, pay this, pay that, pay whatever. And my reaction to that all the time, you can ask Alexis, my reaction to that is, he promised. I have no idea how I'll do it. it quite frankly, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Because he promised. See, I had already built a foundation of faith, stepping out in faith, him, him providing through that faith, that now I can rest on that. Not because of something I did, but because of something he did. He proved himself out in that. So now, anytime I come to that point, I could just trust him in it. He promised to provide me with everything that I need to do to do the ministry he calls me to do. 2 Corinthians 9.8 It's important to take the promises in the word of God and apply them to yourself. Apply them to what he's doing in your life. Because a promise from God is gold. That's a sure thing. You know, how many investments today are a sure thing? Not many. <laughs> that one is. And you build upon it. 
So even what he's doing in our church is, is building our faith. Building those steps that we can then look back on and know he has never failed us nor forsaken us. And he'll be there for us. So this, this thought of go is really obedience. The go part is obedience. And, and I, I love how, how Jesus constantly simplifies things for us. You know, we tend to make things as complicated as we could possibly get them. All these different things that we got to worry about. And, all these, and, and Jesus says, just hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me simplify this for you. Okay, and he does that in this process as well. I want you to turn to John 14. <clears throat> and we're going to get into John 14 a lot more next week. And, and at first I didn't know if this was going to be a series. And then I realized last night there's no way this will be a one Sunday thing. And, and now the more I think about it and, and pray about it, it'll probably end up being... Uh, more than even twice. So we'll get into John 14 a little bit more next week. But I want to point out three things that he says in this chapter. We're going to begin with verse 15. John 14, verse 15. He simplifies everything. Now remember, go is obedience, right? So what's he say in verse 15? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Go down to verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Go down to verse 24. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. See, he said it three different times there. If you love me, you'll obey me. If you're obeying me, that is keeping my commandments. That's listening to what I say is healthy for your life. Well, now all of a sudden our, our brain explodes again. Because, you know, the Bible has 66 books. And, and there's a lot in there. As a matter of fact, if you're talking about his commandments, just Leviticus alone is enough to give you a headache. Right? How many here have read the book of Le Leviticus? Okay, it's enough to make you just, your mind explode when you start thinking of all the things, okay, God, we're supposed to keep your commandments. But again, Jesus Christ simplifies everything. That's what he did when he came to this earth. He simplified everything. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10. And by the way, I want to mention this because often... Often, 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 we do this as Christians, and we've got to be careful. We tend to want to manage the Word of God. Okay, We manage the Word of God through our own intellect, through what we're going to accept, what we're going to reject, what we're going to believe is His Word, what we're not going to believe. Well, this is literal, but well, this is really figurative, and, and this really didn't apply to now. This is really something that either applied back then or, or maybe this applies in the future. My only response to that is, what is the point that he gave it to us then? See, God intends every word for us to be able to glean from every word. So, so you can't pick and choose. So again, with all of that, Jesus makes it simple. Makes it simple to follow him. Luke chapter 10, verse 27, and all of you know this, says this, And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. See, what he's saying here, the, the lawyer was asking him, what are the greatest, What's the greatest commandment? You know, of the entire law, what is the greatest thing that I should follow? And Jesus' answer was this. Take everything that you are, everything that you have, every ounce of energy that you can, 
you can obtain with all the strength that I've given you in your full capacity, love me. That's all he says. Love me. Love me. Jesus craves our love. He said, if you love me and then love your neighbor as yourself, everything else is wrapped into those two. So those entire 66 books, all the precepts and everything in Leviticus, it's all wrapped into those two things. Love God. Love each other. You think, well, that's pretty simple. I could do that. Okay, see, we've been readied. We've been said, he'll build our faith in it. He says, go. Okay, go and love. Go and love me. Spend time with me. What does it mean to love Jesus? It means to spend time with him. When you have a new relationship you're developing, and you want that to be a close relationship, what do you do? You spend time together. You talk with one another. You don't just sit down and learn from the other person. You spend time conversing back and forth. See, it's the same thing with the relationship with Christ. If we want to get to know him, if we love him, we want to get to know him. We want to spend time with him. The conversation is two ways, not just one way. It's not about sitting down and just hearing his, his laws and, and reading the Bible and reading about his life, learning to mimic him and do what he does. It's not about that. And by the way, you can live a decent life doing that. I did that for 40 years. You can have a life without the back and forth communication and live a decent life. But do you know what? That's not love. That's not the, the real essence of relationship. The essence of relationship is two-way. That's why God, when he talks about salvation, he breaks it down into three categories. It's our justification. He justifies us of our sin, 100% by grace. He gave everything on the cross. You don't have to do anything to inherit eternal life. Nothing except accepting him. That's all you have to do. Jesus, I invite you into my heart. I ask that you save me. Forgive me for my sin. When you receive him as your Lord and Savior, that's our justification. Because we are justified by his perfect life that was sacrificed on the cross. But then what happens is this portion of salvation called sanctification. And, and in today's vernacular, I don't even like to call that really a portion of salvation because you cannot lose your salvation. You can lose your sanctification. But, but in the terminology of the Word of God, it, it is a part of this process. So in sanctification, it isn't all Jesus. You understand? It's relationship in sanctification. There is Give on your part in sanctification. It's just like any other relationship. It's not what you just learn from the other person, but it is the time you spend with the other person. Us building our relationship with Jesus Christ requires us to spend time getting to know him. Not just know about him. There's a difference. You can intellectually know about him and not know him. You can even have the Holy Spirit in your heart because you've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and not know him. Because the Bible says many will, but yet they will lose the joy of their salvation. The joy of their, of their salvation is the relationship with him. It is that back and forth. Why do you think Jesus says, if you want to know me, take a step toward me. Then I will take a step toward you. See, that's beyond justification. 
Because when we accepted Christ into our heart, he did everything. But now he's requiring us to take a step toward him first. Why? Because that shows our intent. That shows our trust. Because we can't see him. So when we build a relationship with someone we can't see, we do it by faith. But he promises, and praise God, he promises that when we take a step toward him, he then takes a step toward us. When we offer ourselves in time with him, he does the same with us. And we have this back and forth. So again, Jesus simplifies all of this. He says, love me. And he says, love each other. I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This was back when, when, they, when Moses was, uh, they were given the law and, and talking about, <clears throat> you know, what, uh, how important that was to the Jewish nation. Okay, now as we read this, as we read God's commands in Deuteronomy, I want you to understand what he said that we read in, in Luke. That what are the greatest of the commands? Love him and love each other. But yet, it still applies how important that is to be in our lives. Let's look at verse 5. We're going to begin at verse 5 in Deuteronomy chapter 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your, all your might. Verse 6, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you arise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. See, verse 8 is really like a reminder, okay? Any, anybody ever tie a string to your finger? I know that's probably old time, but tie a string to your finger to remind you of something? Okay, I did that as a kid. Is it, okay, I really didn't. That was really like my grandparents. Okay, we have ways of reminding ourselves. Now we have smartphones that give us a little beep, right? Okay, well, you could think of it in terms of that. Okay, we, we do reminders for ourselves. That's what verse 8 is talking about. It's talking about wrapping a reminder around your head, around your hand. Reminder beaded on your forehead. It's saying, remember this. Remember this, verse 9. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, verse 12, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve by his name. You shall swear. And it goes on to not go after any other gods. But see, what he's setting out here is how important it is to know your relationship with Jesus Christ. How important it is to know what he has commanded you to do, right? He said, write it on the doorpost. He said, if you, if, you, if you need to put a reminder on your hand, put a reminder on your hand. If you need to put an alarm in your, in your cell phone, set an alarm. Every ten minutes, remind me that I'm supposed to love the Lord my God, and I'm supposed to love all those around me. That sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? But do you understand, that's, that's what God's saying here. Remind yourself. Remember. Have it on your lips all the time. You know, what, what did he say back? Uh, verse, verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall take them, 
shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you arise. In other words, all the time you're talking about his commandments. What does that mean? All the time you're talking about how much you love him, how much you love others. See, when this paradigm shift happened in my life, it was profound. This was probably six, seven years ago that I began to really understand what it meant to have a relationship with Christ and and what that love really meant. It was profound in my life. And I began sharing it with people. I began sharing it with those around me. Teaching it to my children. Why? Because it was important. It was important to me. His commandments to love Him, to love others, became precious to me. Why? Because I received something immeasurable in that. When you feel the love of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, there's nothing that could compare to that. For six months I had prayed that the Holy Spirit would speak to me. Would be the second half of that interaction conversation. And when he did, the very first thing he ever said to me was, I love you. It touched me in such a great great way, but you know what? It shouldn't have surprised me. Do you know he loves you? Do you know Jesus loves you? Jesus loves you. You. Not just your friend, not just your pastor, not just your church. He loves you. He loves you so much. He died on the cross for you. He loves you so much. He desires a relationship with you. He wants to permeate and fill you up so much with his love that it just pours out. It can't help it. It can't help but pour out. So in order to do that, we have to write it on our hearts. We have to study it. We have to seek him every day. We have to be aware of what he's doing, aware of his love, aware of the love of the people around us. And we have to use our, use our mouths to tell people we love them. I know that's hard with some people. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. When you begin to look through the eyes of Jesus Christ, it's so much easier. When you start to see people how he sees them, it's so much easier. I want you to turn to Matthew 28. We're going to close with this. As a Christian, there are a few things that God tells all of us to do. You know, I said the greatest of the commandments are to love Him and love each other. But what do you do with that? Do you just kind of stay off to yourself and see, see who He brings into your life and, 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 you know, whatever fruit comes from that? Well, let's look. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20 says this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm I'm always with you, even into the end of the age. So see, we're, we're not supposed to hold it in. We're not supposed to keep it to ourselves. We're supposed to share it. When it says teach, that's what it's talking about. Interaction. Interaction first with Jesus. Interaction with the Father through Christ by means of the Holy Spirit. But then interaction together. You're you're not an outgoing person. You don't like people. Get over it. (laughs) I don't... You know, that, that's tough. I get it. I get that. But you know what? You don't have to like everybody. You don't have to. I, I shouldn't say that. 
You don't have to go to everybody. God will put you in places that he wants you to reach out. But you know what? We have to get beyond ourselves and see people how Christ sees people. You know, we're, we, we tend to be a very judgmental group. And I, I mean humans. <laughs> or at least Americans. I don't know if it's the same overseas. I, 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 don't, I think there is a difference. I don't know where it comes from, but we tend to be a judgmental group here in America. Be really careful that that does not stifle your love for people. Because Jesus loves people, and he only shows his love through his people. That's why the Bible says we're his hands and feet. Because the next time he comes to earth physically, it's to conquer. It's to set up an earthly kingdom. It's not to share his love and let people know how much he loves them. He did that on the cross. He does that every day through the representation of who he is, which is the body of Christ. It's you, it's me. He uses our mouths. He uses our feet to reach out to people, to let them know how much he loves them. We do that by our love. So see, if you, if you don't get this concept of love, you don't get Jesus Christ. Flat out. If you do not understand love, you do not understand a relationship with Christ. You can't. See, they, they're diametrically opposed. They don't work together. Because Jesus Christ, his love, means relationship. It is relationship. Now that doesn't mean you can't be saved. Because remember, we did nothing for salvation. We did nothing for our, our uh, ticket to eternity, if you will. We didn't have to, to carry his love to people for that. But to have a relationship with him, we do. To be used by him, we do. We have to show his love through our lives to have any kind of effect for him. We have to feel his love in our hearts to have any kind of relationship with him. And he craves that. He desperately wants that. And he wants it from everyone. It's powerful.